politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow scorned American patriots, to the one and only Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house on Thursday, July 23rd, and I am fit to be tied. Whether it's the anarchy, whether it's the tyranny, whether it's the homosexual transgender agenda permeating our society, our courts, whether it's the bankruptcy of this country, whether it's the dependency, whether it's shoveling trillions of dollars at the very states and health officials and education cartels destroying this country. Republicans are as in bed with them as the Democrats are. As we speak, Republicans have negotiated a deal, another trillion-dollar spending bill. Basically, in totality, what it does is it further fuels and incentivizes everything these bastard governors have done to us until now. So you look at the four months that we've experienced, the worst mix of anarchy and tyranny in the history of our country, the most widespread, protracted tyranny against life, liberty, property, personal bodily integrity that we've ever seen done by the states and not even by legitimate legislatures, but by executive fiat. And this is the time for our federal representatives, for Trump with the veto pen, to go ahead and say, wait a minute, we are not going to fund states that do this. If we're going to bankrupt us and give out more money, at least we are going to, A, condition the funding to um, a suspension of these anarchist and tyrannical laws. So in other words, the anarchy for the BLM, Antifa terrorists, and the tyranny on you and me. We're going to condition it to reopening schools and reopening the shutdown of our economy. And we're certainly not going to give you more money. And also, it would be designed to grow the economy, to incentivize us to work with the virus and live with it. It would present the other side of this argument that we've been presenting for months on end. Instead, what this bill does is it shoves $70 billion more at the education cartel. Half of it with no conditions, the other half with some in-person instruction has to take place. To be defined by the governor, by the way, from what I'm seeing and reading about this bill. Might be a series of bills, a package. But this is what the Trump administration negotiated with McConnell and these dudes. Mnuchin, who could totally be the Treasury Secretary in a Joe Biden administration. Then it shoves $30 billion at universities. Literally, like, just give money to BLM. Just universities. And they're not having... In-person instruction, just like they said, you know what? You can have more foreign students from China so they can engage in espionage and trade theft uh, without any in-person instruction, which is, well, if you're not doing that, why do you need to be here? And then they have less infrastructure to run, $30 billion more. Then they shove more money at the hospitals, now totaling $200 billion. And if you're shoving $200 billion at the hospitals, so then why have a shutdown? The whole point was... Hey, for the people that do get legitimately sick, we don't want the hospitals to be overrun. But, I mean, you shove $200 billion at them, so then let us reopen. They shove so much money for PPE and business training on getting PPE and training people and social distancing. So if you're going to do that, then at least reopen. You can't have it both ways. And then again, the same flaw in the last bill 
on the one hand, it shoves money at businesses because we're so sad that you're, you know, losing money. We want you to have growth. But on the other hand, they work against it by incentivizing unemployment. By extending this insane unemployment, albeit a lower threshold. So that's the Overton window. We got used to like, you know, you you get more money than you would have been working. So now it's like slightly less than you would have. But people still, why should they work? So they can't find workers. It works against it. And then there's no, you know, remember Trump promised a payroll tax cut? Again, if we are going to bankrupt ourselves and hand money to the states, hand money to the education cartel, hand money to the contact tracers, at least have some pro-growth policies, at least cut taxes. I mean, if we don't care about the deficit, at least have a tax cut. No, that was taken out. Once again, he promised five times, not going to be in there. No regulatory reform, nothing. Nothing whatsoever. This is where we are. Now, they'll tell you there's no more money for the states. Well, first of all, as I said, healthcare and education vis-a-vis COVID is run by the states. So it, it is handed to them. But then the original $150 billion, they now extend the ability to use it until December, and they give them flexibility to use it for anything to plug loss revenue. Well, that's everything. Plus is a $5 billion slush fund for the governors to use for education. Like, you know, so there's the $30 billion for... Uh, universities per capita, $70 billion for schools per capita, and then a $5 billion discretionary slush fund. I guess you could use it for like BLM camps or something. So then there's that. There's no voice. You obviously have the article out I have today that should be our George Floyd moment where you have an illegal alien who killed three retired cops in a police motorcycle group, injured nine others, by drunk driving, swerving into oncoming traffic. He had two prior DUIs and a prior assault, and he wasn't removed. Guess what? I found out from ICE. I published it today on the record. He had DACA status. And he had DACA status even after he was caught with two DUIs. Okay, that was under the Obama administration. But then the assault was in 2018. And I said to myself, wait a minute. If he had an assault plus two prior DUIs, So I understand Obama was saying DUIs are low level, so we're just going to let you go. I get it. But the Trump administration, you know, ICE did not continue that. So in 2018, he was arrested for assault. How was he let go? And he bonded out, so he was on the roads again to kill these cops. I asked them that, and I found out he had DACA. Well, you're going to say, well, okay, but even if Trump continued DACA, but still, you know, he had three criminal um charges now he shouldn't have had it well i don't have an answer to you it did expire in 2019 but only because it expired not because they took it away so we have not only is the trump administration continuing daca they're not even at least terminating it for like drunk drivers that that even obama said but lied about and said that they weren't going to get issue after issue after issue the hits keep coming yet we have no voice what do we do? So we're going to have a very special guest with us today. Now, I've, I've been building up to this the last week or so where we had a Douglas County commissioner from Colorado on the show to demonstrate that the same way the left is using county executives to basically become like Kim Jong-un. You know, we're going to allow anarchy, but we're going to arrest you. We're going to use the cops if you don't wear a mask. Uh, Miami-Dade County is now saying that, literally, that they are going to arrest people for not wearing masks. 
Um, and by the way, just as an aside, isn't it interesting if um, they all say you have to wear it because you're going to affect others, but if the others are wearing the mask and masks work, what does it matter if you don't? I mean, they can't get it. They're wearing a mask. It doesn't go through to their nose and mouth. Well, of course it does because they don't work. But anyway, um, I digress. The key is county governments. Obviously, the Republican Party is broken. Obviously, the Republican governors are broken. Obviously, this administration is may as well be Joe Biden administration, with few exceptions. Um, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy, Liz Cheney. Um, these people are to the left of where the Democrats were three years ago in the ever-moving Overton window. The best way we can influence change is at a county level. There are 82% of the counties where Trump won um, a good number of them by significant margins, significant margins. That is where we need to plant our flag. There is no reason we can't do this. I, 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 the truth is I marvel at the Democrat counties. See, Republicans can tr- could control the presidency, the governorship, even a county executive. But if they have a municipality within that county that's blue, it's like they control everything. Yet... You know, when, when Democrats control the presidency, they control everything. They control a governor, they control everything. If they control a dog catcher, they control everything. Republicans, they don't control anything, even if they have everything, right? Because they're a joke, because they don't believe in anything. But what we've noticed is you have all these counties and municipalities in Georgia saying, screw you to Brian Kemp, to Brian's credit. He said he's going to block localities from mandating masks. He's the only one who did that. Good for him. But you know what? The county governments are saying, screw you. We're going to mandate it anyway. So you see that Democrats are able to take active steps to violate the Constitution, active steps to promote anarchy. Why can't we have any red counties, supposedly red counties, to at least take passive steps to follow the law, to follow the Constitution? You have all these um, counties and and cities that are now saying they're going to arrest federal agents. They're going to call the cops. It's funny. You know, they want to abolish the police, but they're saying to call the police to have them come and arrest federal agents who are stepping in because there are no police to police what they refuse to police. Um, But you got to give them credit. I mean, these guys fight. How could we replicate that? I'm not even saying to create a neo-confederacy like the left is doing and to just blatantly violate statute in the Constitution. I'm saying to follow it. What is the blueprint? With us today is a dear friend of mine, Shannon Joy. She is a fellow colleague in the radio industry. She has a nightly show you need to listen to at WHAM in Rochester, New York. Um, she's on every night at 9 p.m. You can go to shannonjoy.com. Uh, just Google Shannon Joy. You'll find her website, her Facebook page. has a lot of great stories, her Twitter Um, In addition to being a radio show host, she is really someone I look to for advice on community organizing for liberty. Uh, The reverse Alinsky. Um, She was a veteran leader of the anti-common core movement, which really was a very successful grassroots movement that needs to be replicated except we just kind of burned it out. We'll talk about that a little bit, what went right, how we lost the momentum, how we replicate that. Um, Shannon, it is truly a joy for you to be with us today. Thanks for joining us for the first time. 
Daniel, thank you so much for having me on the program. And I'm a super fan. I tell my audience very often that they need to listen to your program. We are um, really, you know, really linked in our thinking and what you do is so valuable. So thank you for having me on today. I hope I can give your audience a little bit of hope and a few pointers about community organizing because it is vital. I think it's becoming clear to most who are observing politics today after nearly four years of a Republican presidency, two of those years with control of the House and the Senate, plus a majority of state governors and control of state legislatures. The idea that we are here today, that we have lost this enormous amount of liberty and freedom, a destruction of our constitution, a destruction of our economy, and a destruction of our society, a cultural war, which I do believe indeed has nothing to do with COVID-19. I, I am convinced that we are in the midst of an attempted socialist revolution in this country. And as we've witnessed that, and it's beginning to settle into people that the Calvary isn't coming, that the GOP is not going to save us as much as you love Donald Trump. It is clear now that there is nothing he can do to stem the tide. People are now in a situation of, of great discomfort because the scales are falling from our eyes and we're beginning to see the truth. And now what do we do? And so I hope to be able to give your audience a little bit of, of, of hope and also some of those pointers about community organizing because we need now to admit defeat at the national level and the state level and retreat to higher ground. And that higher ground is local community activism. That is a really big point. And, and, and it didn't penetrate me. You, you've been yel yelping this every time we've talked for, for the last several years, but it didn't really penetrate until I saw this crisis where every county executive now had the authority to become like Kim Jong-un. And I've been thinking to myself, and, and look, you know, you I, you have me on your show, and I supply different information and facts and policy points and stories. But what I need from you is really this degree of activism that you've been involved in. Um, am I wrong in my observation that I look around and I see in the blue counties, I live in a blue county, you have to wear a mask when you're two years old. It is so wrong. It is so against science. It is so against the Constitution and individual liberty as defined by Blackstone since the founding of our country. It is against everything we believe in, yet there is nowhere for us to turn. So I think, you know what? Maybe I'll move. I'll mm. find another place. <laughs> but then right. I look and I just don't see – I don't I, – I see red areas that maybe are slightly less tyrannical, but I don't see any pushback except for you know the couple of these county officials I've had on I've met what are you seeing in your orbit and how do we learn from that well what you're describing there Daniel is a testimony to the 3 or 4 decades of diligent work that has been done by the left in terms of community organizing it has been a, a progressive endeavor but I, you know the the first step in in beginning to understand the nature of this situation is understanding where the power is right now conservatives have been led down a false path for many decades 
We have followed the Pied Pipers of talk radio and the GOP establishment and the donor class and the national conservative organizations. And we've been led down a dangerous path that has led us to where we are today. And that, that what they have told us and what they've told conservatives is that we need to focus all of our attention and all of our energy on national elections, national legislation, national court cases, national groups, right? That we need to elect Republicans and they will fight for you. It's a very seductive lie because it and, allows and us- Shannon, Shannon, let me just interject. You're, you're on a roll, but I, I, you've made such an important point. It's even more than that. Even then, the only reason to get involved in those elections is for the Supreme Court. <laughs> right. Look at how right. that worked out. And and we what we what we end what we end with is electing Republicans who betray us and submit to the leftist progressive narrative time and time again. It is an abusive relationship. Right. They tell us they love us. They tell us they're going to marry us. We're going to have a family. We're going to have a baby. But they refuse to put the ring on our finger. And we fall for it every time. It's Charlie Brown and the football. And so the, the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over and over again and expecting a different result. And so anyone, I, it, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this is tough love today. It does not matter if Donald Trump wins the election in November of 2020. It does not matter because this will continue as long as we have conferred the fight for liberty to people outside of our local communities. And we want to do that because we don't want to get our hands dirty. We don't want to get into those messy local battles. We don't want to get into that. And we've been convinced, we've been lied to uh, by you know the, the conservative class, these conservative organizations and talk radio and Fox News and, and conservative media that we don't have to do anything. We can just watch Fox News and clap when the libs get owned and we can go and cast our ballot in November and they're gonna fight for us. And it's a lie, Daniel, it's a lie. Now, the left on the other hand, and this is the, other, this is the flip side, if you don't believe what I'm saying and you don't believe this is true, all you have to do is observe where the money goes from the left, what the progressives have been doing over the past three to four decades. Tip O'Neill coined the phrase, and we're talking about power here. He under, they understand, he coined the phrase that all politics is local. We believe power resides in the federal and state governments, but the power really resides in local government. The state and federal government is only as powerful as the willingness of the local governments to enforce their dictates. Andrew Cuomo can get nothing done in New York State unless he has county executives, police departments, sheriffs, school boards, town boards, village boards, zoning boards, county legislatures willing to do what he says. He doesn't have the cojones. He doesn't have the balls to come in and roll in and execute a socialist revolution the way that Mao did or Stalin did. They don't want to get their hands dirty that way because it's bloody. And they don't have the enforcement mechanisms at either. And so the, the power resides locally. Saul Alinsky wrote the handbook in Rules for Radical. That book, and I've read it three times, Daniel, not because I want to do what he does, but because I want to understand the nature of the left and their tactics and their techniques. It is a handbook on local organization. And everything he wrote informed Bill and Hillary Clinton 
right? In addition, he informed Barack Obama, who was a community organizer, which we mocked at our own peril. Again, listening to the Pied Pipers who are leading us down a false path. We were mocked, but Obama understood and the progressives understood that that daily, day in and day out, local groundwork, that's where the power is. George Soros and Bill Gates, the Clinton Foundation, the Obama Foundation, they're funneling money, not to national elections, but to local elections, board elections, DA elections, millions of dollars into, into court. I mean, this is a huge one. You would understand this, Daniel, but they have been quietly manipulating local courts and judges for, for decades They've been laying all of that groundwork, and that is why when we stand up and we ask for common sense and reason, we can't get it. It's because they are organized and we are floundering. That, that I mean, that five-minute presentation was a perfect explanation for why people look at the electoral map. And you see 82% of counties went for Trump, a lot of them by significant margins. And yet you see everywhere Democrats control, they control lock, stock, and barrel. It's like we, we wake up and say, how did it happen that it's like everything falls into place with them? It seems like whatever they have, they're all on the same page, no matter how evil, how absurd, how illegal. Like, yeah, we're going to illegal aliens. If you're black, you get to do this. But if you're white, you're persecuted. You know, if you're self-defense, we're going to prosecute you. But if you're burning, beating up people, you don't like how do they get it? And then you look at every major city in America. It's kind of like, you know, I've been working with my kids on building campfires. So you could be lazy and try to get like get a couple of sticks and just like, you know, take a bunch of paper and try to light it with the lighter and dump it on there and whatever to try to get something quickly and it doesn't it burns out or you could really just build painstakingly a perfect array of wood in the right strategic areas and then once you light it that thing goes up in flames and they got in every area where they control but also in every uh, plenty of areas that even on a national level went trump but we've been complacent every school board person every county commissioner county executive the um the uh, prosecutors has been a big one. Local and local and state judges who usually, unlike the federal ones, are elected, and they got that. And that's how we have now, like every single city, we have reversed Jim Crow, where it's not that it's you know full anarchy where there's no laws being enforced and they get to run loose. You have that, but then it's the worst of all worlds if you actually defend yourself or if you commit one of their crimes like not wearing a mask oh they'll they'll have the prosecutor's office to go after you they go after the McCloskey family in St. Louis and they've gotten every area um they they've won this so so here's my question to you obviously the takeaway and I think people would have laughed at you and and I probably would have laughed at you also until pretty recently say screw the presidential election screw congress screw the fight over the federal courts it's all about um county officials commissioners councilmen um executives school board officials sheriffs and prosecutors in particular are very important for this battle against the anarchy but now i think people realize it but here's the question for you shannon don't we all ultimately come back to the same problem that the crap rises to the top 
And the same way you have crappy Republicans um, at a federal level, they're going to sell us out at a local level. How do we get around that? And where are you seeing some success at a county level? And and you know just some ways that that people who that email me and say, what could I do? Um, could make this work? Well, the, the key to holding politicians accountable is the organization, right? So at the bottom, you have elected officials, but below those elected officials, you have groups and organizations that are constantly uh, lobbying those officials. And in, in so not, to, I don't want to scare all that, you know, it's, it seems like there's this big, massive thing. They're so powerful. They have so much money and they control every county and they kind of do. But when you whittle down actually the and in, in look at the in, intricacies of their organization, what you'll find is the problem locally is that there's just no equal and opposing force. So if you go into a local county, a, a small town in Rochester, New York, right? And and I've seen I've witnessed this firsthand. This actually happened. It's a true story. In that county, you have in in a group of people, some of them transplants, to be quite honest. And I always wonder if maybe they move people into towns in order to do certain things, but maybe that's a bit too conspiratorial. But the, you know, a, f- a few people will move into town and they begin this organization. And in this one particular town, it was uh, indivisible. I don't know if you've heard of that organization, but it was put in place after President Obama left power. And it was a massively funded to the tunes, uh, tune of millions and millions of dollars. And it was a blueprint for local organization. It's kind of like, it's kind of like Mary Kay or Avon for politics, right? You go into a town and they'll give you a little money, right? And then you meet these metrics. If you have three different garage meetings or three different town hall meetings, or you get 150 people to sign this petition, then they'll give you more money. And then if you do this and this and this, they'll give you more money. And then all of a sudden you have these groups that are funded from outside organizations. It's about 12 people, Daniel. Okay, usually the the big scary force in your town is usually about twelve people, who are very well funded, and they're righteous. They're you're, you're they're saying when, when you suddenly see transgenderism everywhere, you're saying there wasn't this big groundswell from like thirty percent of the voters. There. Oh no 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 no! It's about twelve people. And they're in that library. They want transgender story hour, drag queen story hour. And they're there constantly writing emails, sending letters, calling everyone homophobic, transphobic. And then your librarian is just a little scared. She's like, I didn't realize I was a transphobe, but I don't want to be called that. So, okay, let's do drag queen story hour. This is how they do it on that small level. So what you need in each town or village is an equal and opposing force. And it only has to be, this is the good news. This is, I hope what your audience will take away from this and begin to implement in their town or village. All you need is 12 or 24 people in your town that are equally motivated. And we've heard for so many, we have the silent majority. We have the silent majority and the silent majority is gonna turn out and elect this republic. We don't need a silent majority. We need a righteous, organized and activated minority. You do not need to convince everyone in your community or in this neighborhood because Daniel, quite frankly, 80% of the population doesn't care. They would happily live under tyranny or liberty as long as they think that's what their neighbor is doing and they're okay. They're going to move wherever the two opposing sides will drag them. 
And so the battle for these type of things happens on the periphery. It is a small minority on the left and a small minority on the right. And the problem over the past 30 years is we've had nothing on the right. They have been unopposed for three to four decades. And so now our opportunity is to understand that. You have to admit hard truths in order to understand that. People don't want to do it. We want to believe we can take the easy path and elect a Republican and they will save us. And that just isn't the case. But the good news is, though, if you find, and I, my, my rule is always anyone who begins to organize in their town, five, find 12 people, 12 people, begin to meet. You do not need to know exactly what you're going to do when you start meeting, but begin to meet, find each other, begin to come together, share your experiences, find out what your unique talents and abilities are, and then begin to delegate to the members of the group, all of these different areas. One member should start a Facebook page, a community Facebook page where you can have these discussions and monitor that page and begin to grow the page. Another member can be in charge of, of all of the data collection. There are people who love to do that stuff. They can sit at their keyboards all day long and just collect data, collect data, filter through it and get a storyline. You need another person who is going to be a liaison to your local community leaders, who's gonna be the guy who is knocking on the door of the county clerk, the zoning clerk, the, the county executive, and constantly peppering them with questions. You have, you know, so each member of the group, ha, you know, has a different role, but that's so that no one gets fatigued. And that that's the other key to organizing that is really important for your audience to understand, Daniel, is that we are used, you talk to the political morphine. You talk about, and, and you are absolutely right when you describe the rush that we feel when a conservative talker owns a liberal, or we have a victory for Donald Trump. People, it's it, it's it's endorphins that people actually get through these very contentious elections. And then when you have the win, it feels so great. And this battle is a marathon, not a sprint. And you are not going to have those those endorphins. You're not going to have this this constant euphoria after you have some major win. This is a very slow slog. It is getting to know face to face. You are in the community. You're talking to people constantly. You're talking. You're you know everyone. The, the police chief knows your name. Police officers know your name. Daniel, my my local police officers they come and stop by my porch a couple times a week. We have conversations. They give me dirt. Right. I, I'm, I'm at all the community meetings I, I activate in Rochester and also the Finger Lakes region, but also in my own community. But you have to understand that I do believe this is going to be a long and protracted battle. I think it will probably go on over the next two years, to be quite frank. And so people need to prepare themselves for, th for that. But if you are, are realistic with what it is, is that you're able to do and you tap into the things that are, are unique to you, I mean, there are people in my community, Daniel, who have started little radio shows from Facebook. Jeremy Cappell, he was kicked off of, uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Cappell was a weatherman here in Rochester, New York, and he mangled Martin Luther King's name inadvertently. It was, it was an absolute mistake, but he got fired for being a racist, right? He came back and started a news program, which is now political, but it, you know, it tinkers with weather a little bit on Facebook. I think he has 40,000 followers and he's making a living doing that, you know, so, so, Find out what it is that you're good at and then begin to shine your light in your community. 
and have that courage to stand up. Courage is contagious. When people begin to see you standing up, they'll say, oh, well, wait a second. Maybe I don't agree with what BLM is saying. So, so you're saying you're saying something very interesting. It's it's a very profound point. It's not just hey, don't focus on you know the presidency and the Senate. Focus more on the sheriff, the prosecutor, the county board, and the county commission, and yada yada. Yes, that's part of what you're saying. But you're saying more than that. You're saying don't just focus on those positions in the same way that you focus on the federal positions, a.k.a. just find someone good to run and find someone good to elect. What you're saying is you have to create the groundswell and the infrastructure that acculturates the community to a certain way, just like the left does, so that whether if they're a champion naturally in those elected positions, they'll have more backing, if they're kind of more on the fence Republican, they'll be more inclined to go our way. Because I hear this all the time. I hear it in Idaho. We had a a state legislator on uh, from the state house. She was terrific. You know, she was great. I I wouldn't want someone any better. Um, She was a Republican because there's no choice, but she was great. But even in that part of Idaho, the transgender agenda was bigger right. than the non than, than the normal right. agenda. I mean, right. it, it, it may as well be Berkeley, but it wasn't because, like you're saying, you have those 25 agitators in all 3,200 counties. They don't yes. care doing yes. their thing, but you don't have the counter to say, "Look, you know, hey, what are you doing in school? Wait, whoa, wait a minute, are you teaching that crap? Are you mandating a mask? Well, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, you're doing this in school, and you start, and then you have the Facebook pages, which, look, you know. It's very daunting to say you're going to go on the sea of the Internet and just influence nationally. But within a certain community, you start a Facebook page, um, assuming you don't get kicked off. It does have its influence. Did did I get the gist of what you're saying for the reverse Alinsky? Absolutely. I mean, you nailed it. And the thing is, you can't really blame the elected officials that are in these positions. Let's go back to the librarian example, right? If you're a librarian and you have these people coming at you, coming at you, coming at you, you're going to take the path of least resistance because from your perspective, you think, wow, this just must be the way that everybody thinks. It's the organization on the other side that then puts them in the middle and, and it creates a tension and an and uncomfortable position, but then it makes them less likely. And the benefit here is that the left is crazy, okay? They're lunatics. It's not like all we have to do at the local level, Daniel, is just be sane and normal. And these people look like lunatics, Right. You don't even have to have these brilliant arguments to defend this policy and this massive legislation. You don't have to go into Bastiat and John Locke or uh, and Locke and the founding of America. You have to. You don't have to go into the Federalist Papers and reading all the documents. You just need to be sane, and you can win in a small county. In addition, you run for school board. You have a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. You can run a great school board election and probably win. But all of our resources, all of our time, all of our focus, all of our attention, all of the money in our local counties, right? You have business owners and they're sending checks to the RNC and they're saying, sending checks to the Republican Party and to this national p- politician. If they were consolidating that money and funneling it back into the community to these or, and that's where we're moving actually, Daniel, in our organizations, we're, we're actually beginning to start to really fundraise and to start to raise some money. Everything that has happened in Rochester up to this point has been 
absolutely volunteer. And I'm going to tell you something else. Most of the organizers on my core organizing team meetings, and we have them in the region, but also across the state, it's all women at this point. It's all women. It's moms, homeschooling moms, women who are working, but they're doing this on, on their time. And it's really, that's where, where the um, organization is happening. So I, it's funny, you mentioned women, and that just reminded me of what, one of the things I wanted to talk about, the anti-common core movement. And could you explain briefly how it succeeded in terms of the message, but then how it wound up getting, getting co-op that they wound up getting rid of Common Core, but just renaming it and not getting rid of it. Then we basically have it. And if we don't have it in terms of a term of art with a capitalized C, you have a lowercase C that's just literally a common government created curriculum um, that is just convoluted where even private schools are now just kind of like, you know, with, with with all the money the government shoves their way. I know I have that in my community. They're, they're basically turning into public schools. Um, ha- what went wrong and what lessons could we learn from that? So the Common Core movement happened because they made a move. The progressives made a move. Uh, it was in plan. Most people uh, found out about Common Core after it had been implemented. And it, it shell-shocked everyone because all of a sudden there's this brand new cu- curriculum. Uh, it has teeth. There are repercussions if you don't implement it with the testing, the data collection, and the full adherence to the, the curriculum. And it seemed as if it came at us overnight. The truth is they had rolled out the plan five to six years earlier. So the the planning for Common Core was heavily funded by Bill Gates. But on the other side, the other major funding portion of of the Common Core movement was actually the Bush Family Foundation. Okay, Common Core was an extension of No Child Left Behind. And so you had the Bush Family Foundation plus the Gates Foundation coming together five years before we ever heard of Common Core and rolling it out seemingly out of nowhere. That created an enormous amount of pain for each parent and each child. And out of that pain came the resistance because moms and grandparents and dads could see that this was negatively impacting their children in a severe way. We're actually in a very similar position right now, Daniel. So there's another huge opportunity to begin to organize moms, dads, grandparents, people. You go after the kids, this is when the gloves come off for for most people. That was, it was that passion and that energy that ignited regular mothers who had, in myself included, who had never been involved in political organization or activation. Groups popped up all over the state, all over the country. There was an enormous amount of momentum. There was an enormous amount of, of excitement. And ultimately, it's, you know, you're going to be, you're interested to, to hear what actually destroyed the movement. But ultimately, it was the Republican Party. It was Republican governors and Republicans at the national level, Republican talkers. I remember some of the biggest talkers in the United States of America just refused to talk about this. They refused to capitalize on that momentum. And every time that we made a gain, it wasn't the Democrats that shut us down. This happened at the state level, but also the federal level. It was the Republicans who blocked any of those efforts. And the Republicans sealed the deal. The nail in the coffin came in the form of the Every Student Succeeds Act, ESSA, which eventually codified what they took. You know, when Barack Obama put it in place, it was still a locally implemented thing. It was, and, and 
it was you, you could still make the case as a school district that this is not a law and we can deny the race to the, the, the top funds and not implement Common Core, which is actually what my school district did. We rejected the race to the top funds here in Fairport, and because of that, we never did the data collection. We never did the testing. In fact, 75% of Fairport students refused the tests when, when that was all going on. But it was the Republicans then that put the teeth into it and codified everything that Obama put into place in terms of race to the top and the Common Core initiative. So once ESSA passed, then you had federal law uh, really uh, asserting. And then, you know, Betsy DeVos came in and declared Common Core dead, which was the exact opposite. And then you also had uh, President Trump come in. And it, it was really the the Trump versus Cruz. Half of the Common Core movement wanted to go for Cruz. The other half of the movement wanted to go for Trump. And it ended up in a, a bitter division. And then the, the group kind of fell apart, which is why I always caution against, I always caution against making it national, right? Because it was that national division and the belief. And I remember at the time I was saying to some of the organizers, listen, guys, <laughs> this has to be local. I've always been, I've always understood that local was where the power was, but we get seduced into the national elections. We believe that either Cruz or Trump is going to save us. I was looking at both of their plans and I realized, I, you know, once you read through the lines, you knew that neither of them were going to do so. And so that's that's what took it apart, you know, and those are the pitfalls. But what I've seen recently is that those groups, all of those mamas uh, are coming together again. And I'm telling you, the other very powerful organization is the medical freedom and medical choice. And this goes into uh, compulsory vaccination, forced government vaccination. Most people think that that's a big conspiracy theory and you're anti-vaxxer and you're crazy. But um, that movement is, a, I mean, these women are on fire. I mean, they, they just will not stop. And it's gained so much momentum. It's interesting. In New York State, we're actually probably further along than most red states because things have, have digressed so rapidly in New York State and California over the past three to five years in terms of the comprehensive um, you know, education reform, and then also the the new really draconian vaccine laws, that that has propelled organizations in, in New York and California because it's so bad. People in red states tend to feel like they're safe. They think they're safe, right? But then you see what Governor Abbott is doing in Texas and what Donald Trump is doing now, and they're they're channeling their inner Andrew Cuomo. I'm listening to them talk, and I'm like, oh, I saw this episode about three months ago in New York, right? So goes New York State. So goes the rest of the nation. If you think it is not going to happen to your state, just wait. And so those are some of the pitfalls. Um, the key here is to reject the binary party D versus R and to channel your hopes and your dreams and the fight for liberty into elected officials thousands of miles away. That's what destroys these groups. You have to, the, the common, I think what can link most local organizations, do, do you like our constitution? Do you like our bill of rights? Do you believe in local control? Those are three areas where most people in your community can absolutely agree. And we have a lot of Democrats. We have a lot of ex-Democrats and even in, you know, participating Democrats that are engaged in our group because they want to maintain local control. 
They want, and that needs to be the linchpin. That is the key. The founders of this country did not intend for us to have a top-down autocratic system. They meant for most of the power to be consolidated at the local level, and communities would necessarily look different. You have liberal communities, and you might have some conservative communities, and you might have all different ways of doing things, school districts who adopt this curriculum or that yep. curriculum. We, we have to stop caring about what everyone else is doing. And, and, and that's that's what I think we have to recognize. I think like I've come to the conclusion our country is done. I mean, it will never be what it was even in my young lifetime, much less the way the founders envisioned. But you, know, you look again at that map where 82% of, of counties voted for Trump, and, you know, whatever Trump turned out to be or didn't and Kushner, yeah, no, but certainly the intent of people who voted for Trump was all very good and they for good reasons. And that means that they fundamentally have the values of a traditionalist community. Yet again, we have failed to do that. So I could live with it if I say, look, you know, even 40 percent, 30 percent, 20 percent of places I could go to and live in a traditionalist Obviously, liberty, um, ordered liberty, without anarchy, uh, Judeo-Christian values. Um, but we don't see that. We, we we rarely see a community that even is regarded as conservative that's not still promoting the left-wing agenda in some way. And you're saying it's because we have failed to do to take these slow steps of building that fire and and you gave a good example from Common Core. So here's what I want to wrap it up with the here and now. You mix the power of education and children together with medical freedom. And the two are converging now. And we're having the issue with the school, you know, shutdowns, the school manipulation of what the kids have to do. Obviously, the compulsory mask wearing. Where are the bodies buried? Where in people's counties can they go? What are the specific steps that they should take to organize to combat the corona fascism? And where are you seeing some degree of success? I would say really begin to look to California and New York. And, you know, we're not seeing, I mean, right now things are, we're, we're so early in this um, that we're really just in the building phase. So if you were to look at Rochester, New York, what we've done, uh, there are three organizations. There is um, Open Rochester, which is a pro-business and free market local group. There is um, Rock for Educational Freedom. That is where we deal with the school board issues and the organizing in different communities. And we also have True Blue New York, and that is a, a support group for local police, which is very important. Between those three groups in our region, we probably have close to 20,000 members. And so we have been rolling out. We've been we've been doing protests. We're doing uh, support cop events. We do a, a, a ride in support of cops that the last one, I think, got nearly a thousand people in attendance in Ontario County. And we're going to have another one in Monroe County. And so these groups are now beginning to get their footing they have a, you know, we've been able to get a lot of coverage on local media, which is unusual. We haven't usually been able to do that. And so we're now going to begin to push in terms of really going down a little bit deeper and getting those core community groups organized. And so the this is not to say, Daniel, that that we're gonna win. Listen, I mean this is a heavy this is a heavy lift. 
This is this is not I am not here to give you guys the easy way out. I mean, this is this is going to be difficult. But there's a there is good news in New York State, Rensselaer County, Steve McLaughlin, McLaughlin which who I hope you have in the program, Daniel, because he's he's unbelievable. He's the county executive, Rensselaer County, New York. It's in Albany, right next door to Andrew Cuomo. Steve McLaughlin has been rejecting and refusing to comply with Andrew Cuomo's ridiculous, unconstitutional, and illegal mandates since day one. There is a, a laundry list from the opening him, you know, opening gyms and restaurants, allowing parades, allowing gatherings. I mean, every time Cuomo puts something down, Steve McLaughlin says, "Yeah, I don't know if we're going to do that," and he rejects it. But the most important one that the most important move that he made was that March 25th executive order where Andrew Cuomo forced nursing homes to take in COVID-19 patients and threatened them with shutting down their facilities, the state coming in and shutting down their facilities if they refused to take those COVID-19 patients in. It resulted in minimum 6,500 deaths in New York state, but many are estimating it's close to 12,000 deaths now because now they're just shipping them out of the nursing home when they're about to die so that they die in a hospital. It's disgusting. It's horrific. But that so but he in his county, Steve made the decision point blank when he saw the order. It's not going to happen in this county. It's not going to happen in our county nursing homes. And so he gave the directive to the county run nursing homes in Rensselaer County and said in no way, shape or form will you take a single COVID-19 patient. And we're going to do that in direct defiance of Andrew Cuomo. And as a result of that policy, there was not a single death in their county nursing homes. And it was one of the, the most important moves that he made. He's never had any ramification, Daniel. Every time he does it, what does Cuomo do? Nothing. Nothing. And this is what counties need to understand. So what you need to do, so there, once you once you get that organization going, and I mentioned we had that, you know, close to that 20,000 number in Rochester, then you begin to apply the equal and opposing force on the county executives and the mayors. And then you take that movement, you begin to build on that, and then you start running people for elected office. Many of us in the group are starting to consider running for county legislature, for some of our town and village boards, for school board especially. It's incredible important. And so, you know, this is for, for me, it's the, it's, it's the only thing to do. You know, I, I am not the type of person that wants to waste my time. I have a thing about efficiency. I get irritated if things aren't efficient and I welcome to my life. I've just been banging my head against the wall. (laughs) But if, if I see a pattern emerge. And that pattern is that you elect Republicans, they betray you. You elect Republicans, they betray, they betray you. They betray. Obviously, we're doing something wrong here. And so what you need to do is try something new. Listen, we've had rallies where we don't get a, a huge turnout. We have 100 people and we're like, oh, you know, that that didn't work for this reason. It's a lot of trial and error, but I'm going to, I promise you, Daniel, it's one of the most rewarding things that I have done in my life. And these people that I've been able to meet, you will be astounded. I mean, there are frustrations involved with it, but you just begin to meet so many people in your community and you begin to understand, you know, that power of persuasion when you can get on the phone with your superintendent, you can text with them, you can text with the chief of police because you're at those events. And, And you'd be surprised at how much influence you can begin to exert And then they can say, if they think there's a group behind them, 
an elected official and they're like, listen, I have this huge group behind me. They're going to be more likely to go the route of common sense and reason and, and justice. The only reason they're not doing it now is because they're afraid because there's just there's and, a vacuum. And, and, and when you get the county officials, the school board officials and the sheriff and the prosecutor on your side and they feel the backing and then they they have a position that we will not tolerate anarchy, but we will not certainly use the police against self-defense and Corona fascism. That's the whole enchilada. I mean, these are the issues of our time that intersect with local government more than anything of consequence we've ever dealt with, I believe, in our lifetime. And what I was struck by your example of Rensselaer County, and I certainly want to get Steve on the show, is that that's a county that traditionally has leaned, it's been swing, it's leaned a little Democrat. Democrats usually carry it. Trump carried it by two points. If he could do it there, I mean, certainly there's no excuse for us not organizing and shoring up places that Trump carried by 20, 30, 40 points. Yes! You I know, mean, this is happening in, in New York, Daniel, like the bluest of the blue of the blue. Like, you guys could do this in your red states. This is a much easier lift in Iowa or Texas or Florida when or you know down south where most people share those basic values. I mean what we're up against a brick wall here in New York. It's very difficult. <laughs> but it doesn't even have to be as difficult as, as it is for us in New York as it is in, in states across the country. So here's what I want want you to do. We're going overtime here, but I want you to join us at our Facebook fan page, Herwitz Citizen Sanctuary. I'm giving you homework. Where we're we are going to have you guys. I want you guys to start threads. So both there and at our private page, which is Minmin Speak Easy, so you could actually post there and start to organize. You know, we don't have enough people to go county by county, but let's just at least do state by state, and then within that, we could talk about the counties, what needs to be done, and Shannon could be our in-house advisor to come to that Facebook page and and help guide help give advice, help organize. I know you're busy with your local area, but we need to start this. And then again, once you start seeing that degree of success, then it grows. And if nothing else, God, there's at least places where we could go to that are a refuge, the last refuge for civil and religious liberty on this earth. As Sam Adams said, a couple of weeks after signing the Declaration of Independence, he said before the uh, Pennsylvania State Legislature, is there going to be a place on earth left for civil and religious liberty? And that's literally what we're up against today. And the answer is, I mean, it's a grim thought, but no, we're not going to get that back in our country. I mean, the, those big cities are gone. I mean, they're gone, gone, gone. But we have areas that are, you know, just as bad and they don't need to be that bad, but they will be that bad if we don't act. And then we'll have nowhere to go. Shannon, thanks so much for joining us today. I want this just to be the first part of a series, truly enlightening. God bless you for the, for your work, and let's stay in touch. Thank you so much, Daniel. And if any of you want to follow the show, if you want to get the program, we hit these topics every evening, 9 to 10 p.m. Go to theshannonjoy.com. Theshannonjoy.com is the website. You get all the podcasts. You can listen to the live program from 9 to 10 every evening. And Daniel, I love the work that you do. Like I said, I'm a huge fan. And let's definitely continue to collaborate in the future. Perfect. And also follow her on Twitter at Radio. Shannon, have a terrific day. Let's start the revolution now. Wow, wasn't that a terrific presentation, a terrific change of pace for this show? I mean, that's the thing. I wanted to give you a little bit more um, 
Ezekiel, then Jeremiah. And, you know, hopefully that should provide some sort of framework that I think we can get involved with that more than anything, it's a mindset. We got to get out of this mindset like, oh, the left could just be on the playing field and we just all we have to do is just vote. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Um, this is really the way to do it. Uh, I've always known she was right. It's it's tough. It's tough to get off that morphine and try something new. But that is what we need to do. Keep me updated what you're doing, where you guys need help. Again, Miniman Speak Easy is our private page. If you're on Harwood Citizen Sanctuary and you want to post, uh, you could request an invite and you'll get one. Um, by the way, she's just a terrific friend. Um, you know, she wouldn't want me telling you this, but we never even met in person. We've developed a you know relationship professionally, fighting for liberty, uh, talking over the phone. I go on her show from time to time. This is the first time she came on mine. Um, but when I had my baby girl, so she knew I didn't have a girl, I only had boys, I got this massive box in the mail. It must have been hundreds of dollars of really nice dresses. So, uh, you know, she has a dress for every occasion. My wife loves dressing her up. It's all from Shannon's clothes. Um, unbelievable person. And we need people like that in every community. If we did, we'd really uh, go places. Because remember, she's in Monroe County. And um, that is a that's Rochester. I mean, that's a Democrat county. Uh, that is not a county we're ever going to win. And, you know, broadly speaking. So certainly this could be done at a smaller scale in a county that is naturally uh, inclined to follow us if we just get on the playing field. We're going to update you more on this legislation at a federal level. We are going to get back to some of the federal stuff and see how this plays out at a local level and what we could do the way the left is going to do with the money, what we could do to jujitsu it at a local level. And that's, that's really what we need to do. Um, the blue areas are lost, but what could we do in the so-called red areas? to use their tactics to do the right thing. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all, and thank you for listening.